You are listening to an M Pavilion podcast. Wamenjika, welcome everybody to M Pavilion, which is an initiative of the Naomi Milgram Foundation. It's fantastic to see so many familiar faces in the audience. Um, my name is Natalie King. I'm an enterprise professor in the Faculty of Fine Arts and Music at the VCA and a curator, most recently the curator of Tracy Moffat at the Venice Biennale. We acknowledge the Bunwarung as the traditional custodians of the land on which we meet and we pay our respects to their ancestors and elders, past, present and emerging. We also acknowledge that we are gathered on unceded lands that has been a place of creativity, song, uh, dance and learning for over 60,000 years. Tonight I have the illustrious task of welcoming four artists uh, who have just presented their work at the Asia Pacific Triennial at GOMA. Welcome to Melbourne. This event and mini residency marks a new alliance between RMIT, VCA and Quag Goma. And I do hope this is a prelude to more uh, cross-academy um, alliances. I'd like to thank a number of colleagues from RMIT, Larissa Hjorth, Esther Perini, uh, Kristen Sharp, uh, Daniel Palmer, who unfortunately uh, just returned from Cyprus and couldn't join us tonight. Um, I'd like to thank some of my colleagues at the VCA, Kate Dorr, David Sequeira, Sue Baker, Vicky McInnes um, and Danny Butt um, from COVA and the VCA. COVA is a new centre of visual arts whose launch is imminent and um, I would also like to um, thank Eleanor, is Eleanor? Ah, Eleanor Simcoe for your incredible efforts in organising our visitors. So the format for tonight is I'll introduce each of our speakers and we would like to start with a fairly unconventional um, beginning. So after I've, op I've um, introduced each speaker, Lee Huang Lee from Vietnam would like to read a poem and then Mitu Sen will also recite a poem. Let me just introduce you first, if you don't mind, I'll read. Lee Huang Lee is a Vietnamese multidisciplinary artist working across poetry, painting, video, performance art, installation and public art. She studied painting in Vietnam, later earning an MFA at the Art Institute of Chicago with a Fulbright scholarship. She also worked as an editor of Youth Publishing House in Ho Chi Minh City. Lee is the first female visual artist in Vietnam doing poetry and performance work. She sensitively explores ideas of displacement, travel, immigration and memories. Mitu Sen, who is sitting next to me, is from West Bengal in India. She completed her BFA and MFA at Kala Bhavan and received a scholarship to continue postgraduate at the Glasgow School of Art in the UK. Her practice comprises drawing, poetry, moving image, installations, sculptures, sound and performances. She makes life the medium of her practice and pushes the limits of acceptable language, questioning our pre-codified hierarchical etiquettes in society 
within the tabooed, tabooed of identity, radical hospitality and lingual anarchy, which we will touch on later. <laughs> Elia Norvista is an Indonesian artist whose practice focuses on food production and distribution and its broader social and historical implications. Food in various forms, from the planting of crops to the act of eating and sharing of recipes, are Novista's entry point to exploring issues of economics, labour, politics, culture and gender. Her practice is also concerned with the intersection between food and commodification. Lino Vuth is an artist, curator and co-founding artistic director of Cambodia's Sasa Art Projects, an artist-run space uh, in Phnom Penh. His artistic and curatorial practice is primarily participatory, exploring collective learning and experimentation and the sharing of multiple voices through exchange. His interests intersect microhistories, notions of community and production of social situations. Lino holds a Master of Art History from the State University of New York, supported by a Fulbright Fellowship, and he also studied here at RMIT 10 years ago. Some of you would have seen his work uh, earlier this year at um, the Art Gallery of New South Wales in the Biennale of Sydney. So let's commence with our poem from Lee. Thank you for introducing me and other artists. And thank you, everyone, to come here today with us. Um, I would like to read a poem it's about an old woman and an ancient house. In Vietnamese, Người đàn bà và căn nhà cổ Tặng nhà số 14 những chiếc ghế chạm trổ bọc nhung rách tươm lò sưởi lạnh ngắt bao năm cẩm thạch trắng cáu đen người đàn bà mặc áo dài trắng ngồi bắt chéo chân trên chiếc ghế bọc nhung lành lặn duy nhất cửa sổ mở ra cơn mưa vỡ nước ối bầu trời đêm song cửa dì xét Long lên Người đàn bà mặc áo dài trắng Ngồi bắt chéo chân Trên chiếc ghế Lành lặn duy nhất Tường ố mưa đêm bao năm Màu vàng lên rêu mốc Mưa điên cuồng bên ngoài Đòi chút vào nhà cổ những u uất Người đàn bà mặc áo dài trắng Ngồi bắt chéo chân, buồn thảm và kiên định. Những con vi khuẩn bám trên từng hạt bụi, nghe ngóng sự sinh sôi, ẩm mốc. Dưới gầm chiếc phản lên nước như gương soi, là đêm của thế kỷ trước. Dưới gầm chiếc phản lên nước như gương soi, lũ rán khua dâu hà hít. Người đàn bà mặc áo dài trắng ngồi bắt chéo chân giữ cho đứa con trong bụng tư thế ung dung và thách thức những con rán túa ra từ gầm phản bắt đầu gặm nhấm chiếc ghế lành lặn 
người đàn bà mặc áo dài trắng ngồi bắt chéo chân hút cạn mắt một đêm từ từ dã xác hút cạn mắt nghìn mưa nhà cổ ngập tiếng khóc ê ê ê nhà cổ dùng mình thức giấc lũ rán bò tán loạn trước chiếc áo dài đũ trắng sàn gạch đứa bé gái mặc áo dài trắng nhẹ nhàng tụt xuống từ chiếc ghế bọc nhung duy nhất lành lặn mắt tròn trong vắt đi một vòng ngơ ngác sờ tay lên lò sưởi và cửa sổ và tường và mọi thứ ẩm mốc thấy tay đầy vi khuẩn bàn tay màu xám ngắt vặn núm cửa bước ra đêm mưa bão bùng cánh cửa dày đặc văn tự cổ sập lại sau lưng khi ấy đêm vụt tắt những hạt nắng như mưa như mưa rơi rơi không dứt rửa sạch bàn tay bụi bặm hope i can read the english with the same level of passion The Woman and the Old House, dedicated to house number 14. The finely carved chairs are covered with tattered velvet. For years, the fireplace remains as cold as marble. White marble is clogged with black dirt. The woman dressed in her white tunic sits cross-legged on the unique velvet-covered chair, still in good shape. The window cuts through the rain, pouring like the nocturnal sky, spreading amniotic fluid, rusted bars loosen, trembling. The woman dressed in her white tunic sits cross-legged on the unique chair, still in good shape. Walls stained by nocturnal rain in years have their yellow colored covered with mildewy moss. It pours stark madly outside. Wanting to cast secret, unexpressed sorrows into the old house. The woman dressed in her white tunic sits cross-legged, distressingly sad and unswerving. Bacteria that cling onto each other dust particle on the watch for the proliferation of mildewy moss. Underneath the mirror-like sparkling plank bed is the night of the last century. Underneath the mirror-like sparkling plank bed, cockroaches wag their antennae and sniff. The woman dressed in her white tunic sits cross-legged, keeping the child she's bearing in a steady and challenging posture. Cockroaches flock out from underneath the plank bed, starting to gnaw the chair still in good shape. The woman dressed in her white tunic sits cross-legged, draining dry her eyes to absorb the night. Slow and steady, her body disintegrates, draining dry her eyes, soaking up thousands of rainfall. The old house is submerged in tears. This is the crying bit. Oh, oh, so gross. <laughs> the old house shivers and wakes up, Cockroaches crawl helter-skelter on the tunic that falls down, whitening the brick floor. The little girl in her white gown gently comes down from the unique velvet-covered chair, still in good shape. 
with her very limpid round eyes. Dumbfounded, she makes a tour, touching with her hand the fireplace, the window, the walls, and all other mildewy and mossy items, to find her hand chock full with bacteria. Her deadly pale hand turns the doorknob and she walks out into the rainy and stormy night. The door filled with ancient calligraphic seal characters sinks in behind. At the very moment, the night suddenly dies out. Rain-like drops of sunshine fall down unceasingly, washing the dusty hand clean. And this was written by Lee in 2001. Me too. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, this land, and thank you, life. Um, I'd like to read a poem of mine, uh, but my problem is I can't remember things. So excuse me for reading it from my palm. Mambuslingam do listen our home. Hill, Hill say, Putini Houndi was who seek at her. Mandili bas from Ragya, Om Lakao, then Dalao, Gramsliga. Brillam soon ligam don't in Ahale the Sunika Palaganabudisi. Rill, wow, sting about Sene, and Helena so. Wawi, Wakese, Ram. Brimbalik Suma Amnilikam Sini de Ahale so Tabasia. Pusakom do so now how Ub Babas and Abdil and Atun Haleka no more sham walk down this leg on Dira who sail our wowsy. How Sinau Ema in Wase Wase Wabi Nam Sinau. Thank you, me too. Um, <clears throat> I'm sorry, there is no translation for this poetry. Poetry cannot be translated. <laughs> <laughs> because to translate a poetry, I think we need some language. But which language? Language we have all already constructed and codified, which cannot ever teach us how to smell poetry, how to taste shadows, how to hear lights. So I gave up. <laughs> My mother is a Bengali poet. I grew up in Calcutta. And can I? Yeah. Thanks. So um, I, from the age of four, I always wanted to be like my mom because she is like an angel. I, I see her no matter whatever she's doing all the day, but she's writing poetry all the time. In candlelight at night, it's like very romantic and dream-like things. And both my parents are very nationalist, so they send us to Bengali medium schools without thinking the, how big the world is. And, and the politics of language, the hierarchy, 
and the, you know, like the etiquettes and all these institutional politics and structures. So they sent me to study in Shantiniketan, Rabindranath Tagore's university, where I studied fine arts, painting. But more than that, I think I learned life in full. I, all, all seven years during my graduations and master degree, I only used to ride my bicycle and write poetries in every form. And then I moved to New Delhi. I always wanted to be a poet. And I used to write so much. During my university days, I started publishing everywhere, only in Bengal. Bengal, in Calcutta, in West Bengal, and Bangladesh, to some extent. And everybody knew that there is a poet called Mithusen. Then I moved to Delhi. India has nearly 300 languages. And of course, we have a great colonial heart within us. So we still prefer English as our. I had no problem. I love language. Any language is wonderful. But I started, because I started in Bengali medium through and through, and I was super proud, and you know, um, I had my right of being such a wonderful poet in Bengali. And moving to Delhi, there is no other option but speaking in English or Hindi. That is the major languages. And I am dyslexic since childhood, so I could not cope up. I, Got a job in you know, high school, but I, I looked at my students, and when I started to say something or you know, explain something, I can see their naughty smiles. I should have joined them with the smiles, because it was really so much of joy that you know, some kind of strange accent they are hearing first time. And they're laughing, you know. But at that moment, I was extremely, you know, disturbed, humiliated. And not only with the kids, all, it happens also with many, many people. And there are, so to reach in a particular circle where I was not really trying to arrive, but to get some kind of, as an artist, I was trying to. Um, it was not really possible, and I realized that language is one of the main things. I was not sophisticated enough. My grammar was wrong. It still is. My vocabulary was not enough. And I was, I was completely lost. A kind of void came to me and completely raptured me with Silence, and that silence became uh, my poetry for next 10 years. I did not write. I did not write, but I always thought I am a poet. So I continue to be a poet without writing them in any kind of scripts, or I could not document them. There is 
no archive of my poetry for these 10 years. So, and during that time, I published my last book in Bengali, but also in blankness. So, the last book was published in Bengali and lots of pages, like just blank. I had to take a permission to, from my publisher and explain that this, these blank papers are my poetry and how it is actually a language. Because the moment someone is reading this poetry, when they arrive in those blank pages, they definitely, you know, question and they think about it and they contemplate. So it's not just that blank page with the page number. There is something more. And that gradually became my poetry. Till 2012, when my sister said, like, you can again come back to the poetry. Okay, a lot of Bengali poets thought that, you know, I'm actually kind of taking a drastic decision and I'm not writing and this is not good because I had so much of potential, all these things. But I realized that becoming a better poet in my own language and uh, become more sophisticated, it really did not serve my purpose of looking for a language for communication to reach out. So I started writing on the computer this time, downloading some Bengali fonts, and this time again my luck betrayed. So when I write, I'm like kind of writing and closing my eyes and continuously typing. And then when I looked at the screen, I could not read my own poetries. So what happened is some computer glitches appeared. And they don't look at all like, but they look really beautiful visuals. So it's after 10 years of stopping. I call my, I, I continue writing this for a couple of months. More than 100 poetries I've written. And I called my publisher, same publisher from Calcutta, and asked, I said that I have written another book, it's ready. And without listening anything, he just said, me too, I know you are a poet, and a poet never dies. I knew that you will come back, and all these things. I said, are you sure? She said, he said, like, yes, I trust you, and I am looking forward to read these poetries. Please send me. And I said, OK, I'm sending you. But what will do? He said, I'll publish. I sent him a PDF file. It's, it was nearly midnight. He called me back, said, can you send me it's a good update file, Ken? I could not. And then, to make it short, like, it took another couple of months to tell him, these are my poetry. Do you accept them as poetry? And he said, no, you are an artist. You can make an artist book. I said, no. You have to, if you said that, you, are, you want to publish my book, you believe in me, you trust me as a poet. Why, what is the problem? Why can't you just type it? What just now she recite, I don't understand till she translated. We still don't know if it is the right translation and if she's really, it can be fake. I did not translate my, <laughs> I did not translate my poetry because the poetry was in non-language. There is nothing. I can't remember because I don't want to remember, which was already feared in my mind as a language. So whatever I said, whatever is written in my hand was just at that moment. And I just tried. But you all listen carefully, and you also clap. So what did you do? And I, with full respect, it's not that I'm making you fool. It's not nonsense. It's that emotion. So poetry or language, these are some, you know, I think 
I don't know much about science, but I feel it's a kind of vibration. The frequencies, it reaches to you. It reaches to your ear and your heart, and you respond. It's like music, classical music. We don't know. So I am very romantic in that way, and I just I continue my poetry and performance. It's what you call performance, because we have to name something to sit here today. Or, so Thank you, me too. I think you've touched on the corruption of language and its hierarchies um, and who speaks and who is listening. So I thought it would be interesting to ask some of our um, other speakers to talk about the role of language and storytelling. Lino, I wonder if you could um, elaborate on how you've worked uh, with the White Building, which was a residential... Um, utopian-style building in Phnom Penh and you developed your collective um, with the residents and how, sh how you were preoccupied with social transformation and what resides now that the building has been demolished? Um, first of all, thank you, Natalie. Uh, thank you, Larissa, for making my trip to Melbourne possible and many other colleagues at RMIT um, for supporting this project. Um, yes, yeah, so, um, so uh, just a little bit of uh, a background. Uh, I came from a very mixed background, uh, academically and professionally, uh, from science, uh, information technology, to social science, um, international development, where I studied at, at MIT, uh, and finally to art history. Um, so I finally found art is my anchor and with resonates to other fields. Um, so, um, yes, as you said, so uh, uh, me and my collective named Steve Salapa, uh, meaning, uh, <laughs> meaning art youngsters. <laughs> well, at that time we were young. <laughs> Not anymore. Um, so um, the idea was thought, um, the reason why we formed the collective was to think about how we, at that time, were early practitioners. Um, we, we, we all together share a photography practice, and that's how we met through photography workshop. Um, and uh, we all came from different backgrounds. Um, so uh, the main idea was how can we continue the practice and in ways that allow us along the way to engage um, with uh, the art community in Phnom Penh, which was really small, um, and how can we, you know, f sort of engage in this community and, and in, in some way as a learning process, not only for us, but how can we share that with people around us and our community in Phnom Penh? Um, and then uh, that uh, we had a visit. Uh, for some reason, one of our collective member, Ratana, at that time, Bandi Ratana, he, um, he, he, he was a photographer. Um, he had a project inside the White Building before. Um, so it's a 1960s uh, social housing um, that was built at a time of the rising uh, uh, post-independence modernization. Um, and it's an, an early example of uh, 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 what so-called modern apartment-style housing. Um, 
as part of even a larger complex that was built on reclaimed land. Uh, so it was a, uh, there were like uh, housing, there was a national theater, uh, exhibition hall, and this is all in the 60s, you know? uh, So uh, it was a translation from a vision of the state at that time um, of pro-culture, pro-public agenda, you know? uh, In one way, it was an ideological project, you know? However, we thought that is so interesting, you know? Very rich history of an experimentation looking in ways how uh, public and culture can be, you know, somehow uh, meet, but also um, as a sort of a form of magic, you know, uh, 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 just uh, by the edge of the river and transform that to a physical infrastructure. You know? So we, we try to rethink about that and into the contemporary context now when uh, the white building uh, was uh, at that time occupied by more than 2,000 people and including generations of artists. Um, uh, sorry, just a note, that sort of a dense background. Uh, so when in th uh, 1000, one, uh, no, 1979, <sighs> 1979, um, when the Khmer Rouge was um, ousted, uh, the very first people to return back to the white building neighborhood were survived artists, you know? And we're talking about this uh, community that grew grew again as a hub of creativity, uh, but also extend that to attract other uh, urban migrants um, and you know street vendors, uh, everyday Cambodians. And so we thought that is so such a very rich neighborhood, a very dense neighborhood, um, and thinking about how can we engage with Cambodians, in this case, everyday Cambodians in the art. You know, how can we make connection with our roots of tradition, but also while we are practice, because we are contemporary practitioners. You know? So um, from that, we decided to do a project inside that neighborhood. Um, so we rented an, a small apartment inside and tested with different ways of engaging in, in the art through uh, workshops, classes, uh, events, uh, collaboration, working with the local artists in that neighborhood, musicians, dancers. Um, um, and trying to basically understand each other, try to find ways to interact with each other. Yeah, and took times to build those kind of relationship. And I'm very proud and very honored. <laughs> I have uh, our partner here, Martin Potter at the back. <laughs> Martin Potter, uh, who is our partner from Big Stories, and we collaborated together on a project. Uh, by basically, it became, we were like, Oh, um, so what, what would you like to do? So we uh, partner with a, lo a local uh, community school in there. So we, we, we ground with the relationship with the communi community school. And so basically we're like, um, what do you want to learn? What? <laughs> and so people at that time, uh, we wanted to study film. We want to you know, make film and you know, cut videos, you know, put all this and this and that and this and that. So, um, so it came like, okay, Okay, let's do that. So we started with uh, a local uh, 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 partner, and then later, you know, extend to uh, uh, partners from outside of Cambodia, and including, for example, like Martin, who came, doing basically a series of workshop, uh, developing stories. So uh, providing some sort of the tool and the methodology, um, and so um, so the student were making short stories, uh, what I call micro stories. Um, of their neighbors, their peers, uh, their neighborhood, and then it sort of like grew out from there. And um, 
it's now you can find uh, those stories on our website for free, whitebuilding.org. Um, so, uh, so that practice resonates a lot in, in uh, our collective practice, but also our individual practice. Um, our, uh, in what way that we can, you know, um, you know thinking about uh, methodology, but also connection, relationship, emotions as well, no? Um, to uh, produce, or not to produce, I think because people already do have, but to facilitate uh, uh, agencies that, um, that uh, not only artists that speaks you know, on behalf or what, but I think in what ways can we have a, some sort of like conversation and somehow reflect sort of like a, a perspective both from uh, the people that we work with, but also through our uh, as artistic uh, 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 language as well. Thank you. I wonder if we could pick up that thread of um, connectivity and community and speak to Elia about the way that you work with uh, community in Indonesia and how you use food, hospitality and the metaphor and medium of sugar as your primary medium in your work. Uh, yeah, so uh, my practice uh, as an in individual uh, practice as an artist, I uh, since several years ago, I, I focus uh, with uh, food as a, it can be as, as a medium or as a archive and as a methodology as well. And then I working a lot with the community before to like uh, and then sharing food as a part of, of, of my uh, practice uh, and then uh, through this kind of a form uh, I would like to t t talk about the migration about the labor about the gender role and everything uh, and then uh, I think after several times I feel uh, I need to do uh, more than that and then uh, I, I in a previous work, I've been collaborate with some of uh, my colleagues, uh, which is uh, coming from the anthropology background. And she was studied in a, a bachelor degree, like uh, before the master, how it's called it here. Yeah, it's, it's a bachelor in anthropology, and she was uh, focusing in, in food anthropology. And at that time, we think to, to build something together and then uh, and then I think it's it's a similar like uh, Lino's uh, uh, way of thinking like how can we like um, put it uh, just not only in a, in the art practice but also in a, in the broader kind of uh, 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 field. And then uh, then we decided to because before there is a lot of collective in Yogyakarta. I was living in Yogyakarta, Indonesia, while so many uh, artists uh, uh, make like their community as a, like a collective through some uh, similar practice, for example, like so photography or like printmaking. And then at that time, uh, we don't want to put it as a collective uh, based on, on, on the kind of uh, medium, like uh, what medium my cooking or uh, that would be like open just the, the open restaurant <laughs> so so we think more about that and then we we, we start to make it like just uh, like a cycle of uh, we call it at that time it's it's kind of a foot uh, studies 
cycle like like that and then uh, several times we have like annual uh, schedule of uh, reading uh, reading book it's uh, it can be like a book from uh, cultural studies at that time we also being really close with kunci cultural studies there is a nuning here as a founder and then they uh, as an institution they really help us a lot with uh, references, with the, also the space as well. So, so they allow us to be gathered there uh, since we don't have any place at that time. And uh, yeah, and then it, it started uh, to to getting like a, a member, like a several member from uh, anthropology background at that time. And then they are uh, younger than me. It's, it's quite a lot of younger, maybe like uh, 10, years younger <laughs> so uh, then we, we think to how to uh, to study uh, food because uh, when we talk about uh, st st studying food there is there is no uh, s uh, in independence uh, of uh, how to say like uh, food studies uh, I mean like if, if you go to the gastronomy or something like a cooking based practice uh, but we want to using the multidiscipline to like uh, also we 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 trying to experiment with some of the uh, methodology using the ethnography uh, anthropology and then the, also art and uh, maybe we somehow we we reading the book of philosophy Somehow we didn't know, we didn't understand <laughs> what is this, but we make it like a cycle and then it's, it's uh, like uh, study together. And then uh, we start to doing like a research base on, on food. And then, uh, for example, um, we did uh, uh, the, the research of edible weeds and then we using uh, some, uh, for example, we also studied like a botanical from, uh, but we really studied by ourselves. I mean, like a, like a autodidact. Not uh, somehow we, we we met with the some of uh, uh, like uh, people who con uh, concerned about that, like a professional. But we we meet and then we sharing like knowledge and thoughts and and then yeah it's 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 uh, become uh, for me this kind of practice it's it's really enriched my own practice as well as a as a individual uh, artist so so then uh, for several of uh, years i mix uh, between like uh, my personal and then this uh, food study group so but, but yeah yeah somehow it's like oh this is your project or your uh, collective project or this food study group and then yeah it's 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 really hard to separate this practice of 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 like this is mine and this is went together i think we are like really sharing each other i think i i also uh, they uh, it's also affected in, in in the members of of this uh, food study group as well so yeah for me this kind of uh collaboratively it's 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 uh, it's it's really long term collab uh, collaborative i i i for me i'm i'm planning it into i don't know when but i i, I if it if, if it can be forever that would be <laughs> nice yeah <laughs> yeah i think we can um, see how <clears throat> food hospitality um, interdisciplinarity is so central to your work yeah and Lee, food also appears in your work. Um, in the APT, you um, have turned um, the bones from cows that you would normally make into fur soup 
into what you've called failed sculptures. And you also told me about an endurance performance that you did over two weeks where you ate no food and only drank water and at the same time served meals to guests. Can you talk about this, maybe we could call it a radical hospitality? Um, uh, I would like to start with uh, the work in um, APT night. Uh, is uh, the name is uh, I have a fall uh, body of works uh, at uh, APT nine, uh, including uh, one painting, one artist book, one big sculpture, and another series of twenty one uh, small sculpture. Uh, the twenty one small sculptures named ashes, and I would like to talk about that because it's related to food. Um, all, all of the. Uh, all of four words belongs to uh, my ongoing project uh, named uh, 03958.dc. Uh, I started since 2011 when I um, moved to Chicago with my daughter. Uh, and um, at that time, I had a chance for the first time to, to listen to the story of uh, both people. Uh, Vietnamese poor people in Chicago, and also I myself and my daughter uh, experienced uh, for the very first time uh, as uh, migrants. Yeah. Then um, at that time, the questions about who I am and where I am from is become very crystal clear. Like I never asked me a lot, that question extremely powerful and uh, like like that. And my daughter responded to that by every day she would ask me to, to cook for her. For her, for her is a traditional uh, beef noodle of Vietnam. And if you have chance to go to Vietnam, uh, do you see like, uh, if you come out, there's a lot of uh, restaurants uh, to, to sell for her everywhere. So it's easy to get accepted. And I never... For 36 years, I never had to cook for in my life. <laughs> Even it's too close to me. So, but at that time in Chicago, if you want to eat for, you have to take far away, uh, take uh, go go far away to take it. And also for in Chicago doesn't look like the real Vietnamese for. So <laughs> for the first time, I have to uh, do research about how to cook my own traditional for her, and I decided to make it become the traditional performance for like three years I lived with my daughter there. Then, because to, to have the, 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 the good broth, so it, I have to work with the bones and meat for 12 hours. Yeah, wash it. So I religiously wash it and shimmer it. Yeah, it, it took 12 hours, and then after that, I collected all the bones as my installation. Uh, so I did a, a, a video art about fur, it's a, a sign of that. But the bones, I, 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 cast, I cast the bone into bronze and, um, uh, bronze and iron. Then during the process, you know, there, along with uh, the successful one, there are a lot of failure. But at that time, to me, the successful one doesn't have no meaning to me, even if it looks perfect. 
look perfect and uh, look perfectly, look beautiful. But all the failure to me reveal the transformation of identity, reveal how to, uh, the identity of one person from one country come to another country have to be uh, shape-shifted and meld into each other to form something. And if you uh, go to see the, the work, you will see like, I treat it as an artifact. Uh, uh, where you can see all transformation of all material mixed together, yeah. So that's why I decided to to show uh, the the ashes uh, to to reveal uh, and express my the idea of uh, transformation and uh, the suffering, you know, because it's really broken and it's really tough uh, of that, that journey, and then. Uh, emotionally, uh, the way the ashes reveal is very uh, tough. Uh, it's very broken and very beautiful as as well. Like the beauty come from the decay. Um, so it's about and about the the, the fasting the durational performance that um, I took uh, three weeks durational performance, including two weeks of fasting and another uh, one week for uh, brick uh, fasting. And for each day, I will have the list of uh, uh, guests, special guests who sign up. Uh, I prepared that project in advance, so we, I have a list of guests. Uh, for example, you can, <laughs> can sign up at what time you can come to my studio. So I make my own studio become a stage. Uh, where I do performance and do photography. And the only thing I do, like, uh, I go out and buy ingredients and serve meal for people uh, for three weeks. And so actually, uh, that, uh, why I come up with that work? Uh, because uh, I think I were born in a, a country uh, where there are lots of suffering happen, lots of sacrifice uh, of heroes and who try to protect the country. And especially in 1945, at least 400,000 people die because of the famine. Yeah, so it really shocked me. Uh, if you, you Google, you can see a lot of photo of that. And uh, also, uh, during uh, revolution, my my family, a lot of members sacrificed a lot. Uh, then it took me uh, the 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 a team. The, uh, I, I I want to to put myself in through that process to really understand what's going on to my ancestor, to people who already died, uh, to people who 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 sacrificed their life to serve other people. Uh, because uh, right now, there's a lot of, um, there's uh, the person who, who wants to raise a different voice and was arrested in, uh, in prison. And there's one person named Chen Huynh Zi who I really admire. Because um, the government told him that um, he, if he agree, he can go to America and live forever. But he said, no, I just want 
you I just want the government uh, have to acknowledge that I have no guilty. I want to stay in the country uh, for the better Vietnam. I don't need to go to America. And he, he's, he, he's still there in the prison. So all of that um, make me uh, come up with the idea to do, to do the, the, the fasting project. And every day I would uh, count very carefully how many milliliters of water I would drink. It's in my notebook and own and how many, um, my blood sugar, my pressure, uh, my, my heart uh, pressure, uh, and um, urine. I collected my, uh, my, um, the sample of my urine every day. So it's become the whole installation. Uh, the, that, uh, even though the, the directional performance finished, but I, I haven't had chance to exhibit it yet because I'm still working on how I will work with the old those material with photography every day every day i have a posture uh, to to um and then with the own audience um own guests who are eating and then i just uh, sit beside them yeah so it's i have a rich full of photography and old material every day i collected so i i would like to do one one exhibition in the near future and also um, the whole um, urine I collected uh, with the color different day. So I will make a cocktail. <laughs> uh, similarly, like each day with the same, the same uh, the color of the liquid. So it's going to be fun. <laughs> then um, I, I would like to respond a little bit about the um, language you talked before. And I really like your idea about uh, we should uh, the, the the translation actually changing everything. As an editor for 18 years working in trans, uh, translating, so I know very well about that. That's why my work is related to languages uh, a lot as well. Uh, in terms of, for example, with my the poems I read, if I give to different person, and everyone will have a diff totally different translation. And I got into many issues that uh, there's some French poet or American poet. They, they decided to translate my poem into French or Korean or America. And some, some people, they do that, but they didn't ask me because they had no chance to meet, to meet me. For, and they just missed some other Vietnamese. And even other Vietnamese misunderstand what I'm saying, even the, in the same language, with a very, um, very subtle, very sensitive and delicate, and very like a lot of layers of meaning of same language, but then even Vietnamese people misunderstood each other. So that's why the misinterpretation in language, in culture, is uh, is one of the topics I'm very fascinated to work with as well. Uh, and I do installation about that. Can you talk about a little bit about that? Yeah, I would like to share it. That I always, because I, I have chance to meet with, uh, for example, my friend who lived in Vietnam for many years and maybe become the scholar, become, not maybe become, but they are a scholar, at least about the, uh, the culture of Vietnam, or history of Vietnam. Uh, but then when we talk to each other, even though, I found that 
There's many things they misunderstand. They don't understand correctly just because listen from wrong person or like research wrong document, something like that. So I, I wonder then how is the shape of the misinterpretation uh, or dislocation of language? Because I think it's misunderstanding has happened everywhere and it's formed the word, uh, even though we always try to understand each other. Then that's why I, this, I have a, a friend who got the field medal in mathematics. It's kind of Nobel Prize for mathematics. He's Vietnamese and he lived in Chicago at that time. So I decided to, to ask him to be a performer in his class. Uh, he would teach his uh, field medal subject. <laughs> which I never, I never can understand because it's advanced math. So I appear in his class as a PhD student <laughs> with my, my notebook like everyone for three months. Yeah, then he trace, uh, he, when he writes anything on the blackboard and I just trace, like, visual, uh, like I just like uh, visualize it on my notebook. So, Finally, I have a whole notebook like other PhD uh, students. Yeah. Then I gave that book, that notebook, to the professor, and gave him the transparent paper, and I request him to put each paper onto each my page to see uh, what I write wrongly. And it's very interesting that. Is as some as many many lines he doesn't understand what I'm writing, and he even didn't remember what he <laughs> writing as well. Because you know when he teach is like it's like art, he create um, a, a lots of things. But then because with all my lines like that, and he cannot understand, and he decided to draw. <laughs> so I think it's very interesting collaboration. And then again, I sent. Uh, those two notebooks to the embroiderer, not telling them what is that. It's just like request them uh, trace that and make uh, his version into a black color thread and my into a silver color thread on silk, uh, a transparent silk. And again, the embroiderer doesn't understand anything, so uh, the, all the lines missing again. So then after that, I did a whole installation that uh, each page is uh, parallel each other. And then make like um, the audience become a performance, performers as well to navigate in the maze of dislocation of language and misunderstanding. So that's one of my works. Thanks for sharing ideas about mistranslation and embroidering advanced mathematics. Yeah. Mitu, would you like to pick up the thread of radical hospitality which features prominently on your website and the way in which you um, unravel etiquettes and norms in your work? This is it. 
when you don't understand each other and when there is no language for communication, we feel um, helpless. And we try to grab something which is familiar. And uh, if there is no familiarity, either we reject or we try to understand, try to learn the other's language. So for me, um, well, again, I'm using the word performance, but for me, it's life. To use um, language in my performances, it's not any language. It's just to create an atmosphere which will make my audience or um, someone who is listening to me or looking at me to understand what, what it is. And definitely, since it's some non-language or un-language, um, they will not get a grip of anything except some, by accident, it, it, um, the sound I create, because I use my body to create the sounds, it sounds very familiar phonetically, and definitely it fools everyone thinking that it can be some language from somewhere in the world, because it's not, even I think Google can fail how many languages <laughs> we have. I recently had a performance with my installation in APT um, with Alexia. So where this little robot proved that she's failed to answer my language. So it's only a limited, you know, limitations or limited uh, capacity she has within her. Because um, I am interested on this whole artificial intelligence, but in a very manual way. So my manual way of, you know, kind of challenging artificial intelligence and getting a grief on this algorithm is uh, what I do. Um, so it's again the same thing after like when I was, when I was telling about the silence period of me where I did not write anything or document anything in any kind of um, tangible form. Uh, it, was, it was just void and it really became very hard for people to understand because they thought maybe I'm lazy or I'm like escaping from, you know, being myself or, but I constantly said that I'm a poet. So with that publication, when the publisher asked me about why I need to publish through his public publication, like, you know, his the publishing house. So I just said, because you trusted me, because you believe in me, I need your validation and acknowledgement. This is what we all want. I was um, noticing one wonderful thing that here and in APT, before every speech, you are showing your respect to this land and the owners. So that acknowledgement came maybe, maybe a little late, or maybe it was always there in our heart, but it was required some kind of validation and the moments to so I also am not in a hurry. I feel that one day that language which sounds like a subconscious, you know, kind of sounds or just, just making out, 
this is not a possessed sound. I'm not in trance. But this is a, some message that I'm trying to, trying to create within your head. It's a thinking and moving and, you know, kind of a process that you are feeling helpless when you cannot confront to others with any kind of, you know, like a, a communication tool. So that power comes to my hand. I control all of you by making you silent and giving me a collapse. So I'm sorry about that, but I just want to make this, this uh, you know, that emotional feeling inside us, that, how, that desperation of understanding other and not understanding other doesn't mean that we don't have something to say. We don't have a voice. It's just we forget to show a little more concern and emotion and respect. And sometimes we just ignore. But everyone has a voice. Everyone has a language. And since I, the translation, like I really believe that this is wonderful thing that when we translate something and I can read different literature with my broken understanding of whatever language, English or Hindi or Bengali. But each translation becomes uh, another creative, you know, like uh, thing. So, so when I read a Bengali poetry, like what she said that her poetry when she's, it is translated. So my poetry also was in Poetry International Web. In Bengali poetry, it was translated and there is a page. And when I read them, it was, it was beautiful, but it was, I was wondering, was it that what I really wrote in my language? But by that time, I also tried to redefine my own poetry in Bengali. So language is actually constantly, it's a layers of things, it's a life, it's the experience. So what I wrote like 10 years back, it comes to me when I read it in a different, with a different meaning, because by that time I passed through some history and life and experience. So language is like that. Language actually grows with each individual and with life experience. So it's not, and I'm thankful that we still have some mode of communication where today I can speak in my broken English and you are trying to understand. But I know it's not the best and it's not the sophisticated enough. And I don't, I, I really have, I suffer to, to um, say something in a beautiful uh, vocabularies and a more poetic way, but I am, I'm, fail to do that and I suffer inside, but a lot of people say, no, 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 you are fine, you are. So that's their kindness that they try to understand me. But this is what I try to do in my, in my practice because the main area I work for last 15 years is called radical hospitality. So that all, all the institutional hierarchies and the etiquettes and the codified systems, everything, we are so stuck in it. And I just feel like if, there is any moment we can go beyond and we can go away from it. Um, and people call me funny and playful and I use those things, the fun you know, factor or the playfulness as my tool. So, Thank you. I think that's the perfect moment to open up the floor to questions. We have about five minutes left. If we have any questions... 
Maybe the audience is non-verbal, <laughs> non-language. Hi, I'm uh, David, and I'm interested in the sorts of audiences that come to, um, you know, that particularly around, um, you know, when you're serving the fur and um, you're not eating. I'm, I'm kind of interested in who are the people that you invite to your studio or to share a meal that you don't partake in, and, and what's the kind of response to that experience for them? Um, actually, the the visitor of my studio uh, uh, to to my directional performance, like uh, is my artist friend in Chicago or friends of friends. Some like they 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 spread out the information that Lee will cook for you for free <laughs> and come and eat. And then uh, many people like to eat Vietnamese food in Chicago. Then I. Uh, it's very interesting that I can cook for my friends uh, in uh, my my work, in my performance work, and uh, some stranger I never know before. But after that, we become friends. Um, they they actually <laughs> their response is like very naturally, very freely that they come and just. I remember that's winter, so like. And everyone, everyone just say, "Oh my God, it's so delicious, so delicious." I'm sorry, Lee, <laughs> but uh, are you okay? You, you don't eat, and they say, "Okay, please just eat." And then people just eat very quickly. <laughs> yeah, so I find out it's very um, natural uh, interaction. Yeah, and um, uh, after that, we we took picture together. So I always request uh, uh, two shots. Uh, the first shot is uh, uh, I lay down in the position, uh, like I put up the mattress up, and I lay down on the side of the mattress. Uh, you have, uh, if you have the the the, okay, and then <laughs> I lay down that and I put up to uh, to my feet. Ah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, my feet up, yeah. It's like my my posture of performance, and then the the the, the visitor they will sit um, in front of me, take a very serious photos, and then another shot is they can do anything they want, very playful. Or some people they make up very funny things, and I look very serious, not because I want to do that, because I'm really painful and hungry. <laughs> Yeah. So then, but I remember the last day, the the day of fourteen. I think that I'm dying because I I I can't at that time. I think that is my luckiness to go through that moment. So I told myself, okay, Lee. Now I know when I'm get old and I'm dying. How is the feeling? And I feel that I'm very lucky that I know it's now. Yeah. What's my future? Yeah, and it's time like I feel that all my organs eat each other because there's no food. Um, then I'm so painful and I'm crying. I call my friend. I say I'm dying. I cannot survive. I can't. I'm dying. And then my friend told me that um, Lee, you should stop. You should 
uh, start to eat. But I said, no, 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 I couldn't. I can't, couldn't betray my own project and betray all the audience <laughs> because <laughs> I set up the, 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 the meeting that the, the, the day of 15, then all the visitors who came to my studio each day will gather at my studio to make the, the ceremony of, of brick fasting and it can be considered as a funeral. So that everyone, because every day I work with a different object for my photograph uh, project. And then uh, on the, the day of 15, then people come there and play with own object, make an installation and home photograph. And then if I eat the night before, it means I betray all my guests. So I refuse to do that. But because, uh, like, I, I, under, I understand that I cannot die because of hungry uh, for 14 days. We cannot die. Nobody will die. Uh, but we, we will die because of eating after that if we don't know how to eat properly. Because if we eat too heavy, immediately your stomach will be torn out. Yeah. So that's why to do this project, I have to do research a lot about fasting, prepare for fasting, and after that. Because I don't want to die, I want to do art. <laughs> yeah, so that's why I had that bravery. I'm not brave, um, brave that much that I, I know I'm dying and, and I, will do that. I still do that. But I just know that it's just so painful. But I had to overcome that pain that like many people had to do that in this life. Why I cannot do that? Thank you all so much. Though we're, all your projects and your practices are so fascinating. I can't wait to get up to APT and see the new work by you all. Um, it's a question for Alia, but maybe for everyone as well. Thinking about the, the work you've talked about and the cooking and the collectivity and the collaboration and even the reading groups, that a lot of... Um, I guess, feminist uh, practices and modes. And I wonder if, um, if you consider the practice and the project to be a feminist project and what that, um, and what that space might be in Indonesia for you, if you do. Yeah, uh, yeah of course, we consider this as a, as a, like a, a feminist uh, since we starting with the uh, also with the, my collective to, uh, to 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 think like the act of cooking. It's it's uh, somehow it's it's uh, firstly it's just taken for granted that it's a role of the woman in the society in many society, and then we also wants to uh, exploring more how how it's uh, how it's happened. I mean like. Uh, and then we have like a several projects uh, to talk about this to 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 exploring about what uh, how the the knowledge of uh, cooking it's uh, it's actually the real knowledge. I mean, like this is really uh, something that's uh, quite uh, important as well in the, uh, in in life. <laughs> uh, like uh, we did. Uh, several projects of the research. Uh, I didn't tell you uh, much before about uh, the edible wheat project that uh, I uh, we we did with the uh, Bakudapan is the name of the collective, the food uh, study group. So 
it's starting with the we, we like uh, archiving about what uh, the plants that uh, usually it's being eating and and consumed by the older generation and then how it's the knowledge it's, it's demolished it's because uh, what we get uh, now food it's it's from what the provide in the in the market uh, and then uh, from this we continuing that we found that uh, in Indonesia there is a historical uh, of uh, 65 uh, it's uh, after like the the I think it's it's a uh, uh, the communists when the communists in in Indonesia it's it's being uh, demolished and then it's uh, the effect of the Cold War I think and then the there is lots of uh, co communism sympathizant. It's it's going to be jail and camp, camp, and then it is. Uh, it's a big massacre. I think if 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 uh, so many people maybe already knows about about this, and then the, we found uh, some of the women prisoner in the camp. It's uh, using this kind of uh, vegetables, the the plants, uh, as a survival kit. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, uh, we we start to to doing this project. Uh, I mean, like this, uh, starting from the from the how it happened now. I mean, like what's a food? What we call a food uh, in uh, two days, and then how it's uh, looking back from the history, and then we also doing uh, starting to gleaning. Uh, and foraging in 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 the cities to to see how is the possibilities of of uh, using the edible weeds as a as a uh, in a daily practice, but it it's it's not really easy to do to do this in in a real uh, when the cons consumption like when we really easily to found the market and then but uh, for us it's still um, the methodology to 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 learning. And then uh, it uh, also connect with the with the role of the of the gender as well, like who's provide the food, how the knowledge of the food it's 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 come, and then the, yeah, and then we also doing uh, another uh, a project about the kitchen tools as well, how the how it start to like uh, we wants to. The project is called like uh, unlearning uh, embodied knowledge. Is it like how we start to uh, uh, like we consider the knowledge of using the kitchen tools as a knowledge, something like that. So uh, yeah, it's 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 not really uh, strongly that we're talking about this is like very feminist, but uh, I think the ideology of of uh, uh, still talking uh, cooking, the act of cooking. It's a part of uh, uh, knowledge. It's it's it's. I think it's it's clear that, and then how 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 the gender, uh, it's always relates with this and yeah. yeah. Thank you. I'm conscious of time, and um, it gives me great pleasure to thank you all uh, for coming to Melbourne, for your micro residency, for discussing food, radical hospitality endurance performances, um, non-language, transformation um, and, and beyond. So thank you for coming to Melbourne um, as, um, as part of the program between VCA and RMIT. 
And we certainly hope that your lightning visit will foster um, new artistic um, collaborations and ecology. So thank you very much. You are listening to an M Pavilion podcast, conversations about design and the world we live in. Visit our archive at library.mpavilion.org and subscribe wherever you find your podcasts.